as we find the year of 2016 becoming to a close, as we see it begin to make its final scenes, we once again find ourselves entering the Advent season. The final act in which will lead us up to Christmas and then the birthing of a new year. I'm sure you're aware that both the magic and the selling points of the season is once again beginning to entice us. It's enticing us in the stores we shop. It sings with our hearts on the radio. It makes us like giddy children when we drive by colorful lights in our neighborhoods and in community parks. We have started to decorate our homes, hang wreaths on our doors, put our trees in our living room, fill our freezers with food, and celebrate new or old family traditions with those that we love. As followers of Jesus, in this season complicated with stuff, we strive to stay focused on a Messiah who was born with not even a place to lay his head. We celebrate a king who came as a baby in the ghetto to show us the way to a rich kingdom of God. That is the Advent season. That is the holy way that we are going to be talking about in this series. In church, when we talk about Jesus coming to the earth as a baby, we do so with this theoretical act, uh, and we refer to it as incarnational. But sometimes we can get lost in that word and and we can become uh, comfortable with that word and we lose the radical simpleness of what it means. And simply put, Christmas is a time in which we celebrate that Jesus literally moved into the neighborhood and made a difference in the lives of those he encountered. He showed us and others the way to God, which was a foreign concept prior to his arrival. For those of us who have been followers of Jesus, for some time we can be guilty of growing comfortably familiar with the story and the nativity scene. Christmas romanticizes the story of baby Jesus with nativities and pageants. But there are so many radical aspects to the story that we would do good to never lose sight of. Christmas is in time which I said that we celebrate that Jesus literally moved into the neighborhood and made a difference into the lives of those he encountered. He showed the way to God, a foreign concept. This is a radical Christmas Advent message. Jesus embodied God's heart with all of those in which he crossed paths with. This morning we begin our Advent series, The Holy Way. This six-week Sunday morning series is a discovery of what it means to walk in the way of God's heart within our neighborhoods and our spheres of influence. In addition to celebrating, each week we'll be pressing in to learn what it means to embody the heart of God with those in whom we cross paths as well. I hope this morning you can agree that we are all in this pilgrimage to learn more about the kingdom of God, that we are all wanting, or at least I hope we are all wanting to press more into the heart of God and to learn more from him through the holy way. It is my hope and my blessing that this series will teach us more about what it means to walk in the way of God's heart within our neighborhoods and our spheres of influence. Now, if you're like me, Christmas time is a perfect time to enjoy Christmas classic albums. There's nothing quite like 
the classics for me. And Andy Williams' Christmas album, Bing Crosby's White Christmas album, the Rat Pack or the Christmas song album by Nat King Cole are essential to me this time of the year. Anyone else enjoy those old Christmas classics? I love the evening hours spent with the lights low and the atmosphere cultured by candles, cold eggnog, and reflection as the classics spin on my record player. This week I've been listening to Nat King Cole a lot, and he has a song called A Cradle in Bethlehem. He sings a line that catches me every time. A mother tonight is rocking a cradle in Bethlehem. A little child shall lead them, the prophet said of old. In storm and tempest keep them unto the bells is told. Sing sweet and low your lullaby till the angels say amen. A little child shall lead them, said the prophets of old. Our faith is built on this baby that we celebrate this Christmas season who guides our steps throughout life and in life. And he shows us the way to God, but also the way to move into our neighborhood and respond to those places in which we hold influence. Nat King Cole's um, words remind me of those that we also find Isaiah saying centuries before the actual birth of Jesus. And we find those in Isaiah 9, 6. And he says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The coming of the Messiah for the early listenings of Isaiah, listeners of Isaiah, would also go on to mean that the coming of the Messiah meant the coming of peace. Song after song this time of the year mentioned Jesus and peace together, showing Isaiah's prophetic words of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. I have my radio locked on 103. Point three, which is this time of the year, the Christmas station. And they just, 24 hours a day, play Christmas carols and Christmas songs. And, and song after song freely intertwine and weave together this message of Jesus and peace. In old little town of Bethlehem, we think, sing, O morning stars together, proclaim thy holy birth, and praise the same that God the King and peace to men on earth. In I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, we sing, The world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth and goodwill to men. Activist Reverend Billy Taylor, who made the movie that we watched last year, What Would Jesus Buy, remarks at the end of his documentary, This is the time of the year we are reminded that it's about a baby boy who will grow, us, grow up to teach us the way of peace. The story is Christmas, but the story is intertwined with this idea of a baby who is a Messiah, who will show us the way to peace. This morning we find that the idea of peace has been associated with a Christmas story long before the Christmas story was ever written. This morning we are going to start our series by looking at Isaiah 2. The prince of prophets, as they called Isaiah, has just begun his calling as prophet and mouthpiece for God. 
we will find ourselves in the 8th century, a much, much darker time. Peace was even more a foreign concept then, uh, than it is today in today's affluent world and culture. Like now, peace was recognized as the concept in which was better and which God intended, but the people were not ready for that level of trust. Just to give us a lens to what is happening up to this point in Isaiah is that we, and, and you'll be able to follow along by filling in the blanks in your bulletin, is that we start with a reminder of where God's story started. And that started in the beginning with Genesis. The, the beginning of God's story is that he created the world with everything that was at peace with everything in it. There is not a Bible yet at time of Isaiah. There is not a lot of written things. There's a lot of oral stories. There are some recaptured stories that have been passed down in writing. But there is not this idea of a canon. There's not this idea of a Bible. But the one thing that they did have is this belief that God created the world as a representation of his kingdom. God created the world to be at peace with everything in it. In the beginning of God's story, he created the world where everything was at peace with everything in it. In fact, this was such a lens to everything that they did that they created a word for it. And that word is shalom. It's this idea that we are at peace with each other, with our enemy, and with everything that is in the world. This is the lens in which Isaiah, this early prophet, would have used in his starting ministry. We are quick to point out in today's troubled times that it can be just too hard to live out this peace thing. However, I think what we are going to see as we look at Isaiah and as we learn the backstory is that this concept of peace or shalom might have even been more foreign to them than it would be to us. You see, Isaiah comes onto the scene as a prophet in what is known as the Neo-Assyrian Empire. It has grown and it's begun to conquer the kingdom of Israel and its nearby countries. This carving in which you see on the screen is from that era. And it's a a showing of people becoming slaves to the fields and the onslaught of a superior empire of force. However, it is not only there that trouble and change is rising and advancing in this 8th century time. There's a great unrest in cultures big and small across the globe as the growing world powers war and oppress each other for various places across the globe. Alliances are formed and disbanded for protection. And an unusual move in the 8th century, Judah and Egypt team up together to sack the kingdom of Israel in, Israel in Assyria sorry, in revolt, but fail to capture Jerusalem, which was their goal. Enemies forming alliances because the world had become so uneasy. As this vintage art piece shows, Greece had also rose to the surface, and like a vine, it began to stretch its reach into more regions along the Mediterranean Sea and bringing with it more civilization and technology than the people they were conquering had ever seen before. Rome is beginning to birth itself in the 8th century. And in this era, it is known as the classical antiquity era, which becomes the home of writings such as Homer's epics. 
which would be the greatest influence on Plato years later. The changing era in which the identity of God's people has become interrupted, erased, and challenged like never before. Violence was in the streets and in the lives of every citizen that, in ways that we can never understand or picture or get our minds around here. Unrest was as palatable in the air as the salt that came off the sea. The world was entering a new era, and a result, so was the ways in which empires and kingdoms related to each other. In response to that, in this 8th century, the first Olympic Games are held. According to the Olympic uh, website, the official Olympic website, according to our historical records, the first ancient Olympic Games can be traced back to 776 B.C., the 8th century. They were dedicated to Olympian gods and were staged on the ancient plans of Olympia. This picture from their website shows these ruins from the 8th century. In this season of unrest is when God had called Isaiah to himself to be a mouthpiece and a prophet to his people. Interesting enough, Isaiah means the salvation of people. Isaiah would live into his name as he oozed with God's words, God's hope, and to his faithful followers, God's love. He spoke with confidence and committed himself to stability in this time of unrest. He stood by his stability so much that it actually became his undoing. Strong tradition suggests that he died a martyr's death under the reign of King Manasseh by being placed within the hollow of a tree trunk and sawed into two pieces. He lived his mission out. At this time, the country of Judah was divided. It was, it was divided between the north kingdom and the south kingdom. Isaiah was part of the south kingdom's prophets, and he called out to his fellow citizens and neighbors with the heart of God. He called for them to repent. To, to focus themselves, to not become distracted by each other, to not become distracted by outside influences. However, Isaiah would soon come to know, not only would he learn the ways and the heart of God, but he would learn the prophetic insights and secrets of the coming of the Messiah, the greatest hope of the world. And that's where we pick up in Isaiah 2 today. This is what... Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come East Petersburg Mennonite Church. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. One of the first things that we see from Isaiah 2 is this, that Isaiah was a prophet 
who walked intimately with God and received many insights to both God's heart and plan after man had disrupted it. God called Isaiah to be his mouthpiece. He walked so closely with God that he was called the prince of prophets. God chose him above all else to reveal more about the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah would be then the number one prophet and Old Testament book that Jesus himself would quote. The book of Isaiah oozes with insight to who God is, how he works, and what is inside his heart. In this prophecy, we are invited to intimately press into the heart of God to see the way in which he works and how he has created us to live. In his short prophecy, we are invited in. The way Isaiah ends that in verse 5 is, Come, let us, let us walk, let us journey on, let us pilgrimage to the light of the Lord. Let us journey with the Lord. Let us, let us no longer become distracted by each other. Let us no longer become distracted by the culture around us. Let us journey together and press in to the heart of God above all else. This is Isaiah's call to God's people. Great invitation in a time of distraction and a time of great oppression where the only thing people could think of is all the things that were changing around them and the wars that were around them and the feeling that any day they could be taken into captivity. In this prophecy, we are invited to intimately press into the heart of God as well. In his message, Isaiah identifies that God will make a way to bring together all nations and all people. To quote Isaiah from this passage, he says, in the last days, or some translate, in the days of the God's kingdom, in the days of the coming of the Messiah, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. The law or rule will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many people. In his message, Isaiah identifies that God will make a way to bring together all nations and all people. He's going to bring them together. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring something to Jerusalem that will turn all eyes towards it, that will call all people to it, and will settle the disputes and all of these conflicts that are happening at the time in the world around them. What a radical message Isaiah has. Everywhere they look, people are advancing with technology and with civilization. People are making alliances they never dreamed they would have made. There's wars going around. Half of their kingdoms have been kidnapped and brought into slavery. And in this time, we see that Isaiah gets this prophetic word that God is going to bring all the nations together. Do you think those people really wanted to be with those other nations that were oppressing them? No more than you want to be with the people that are oppressing you. No more than you want to be with your own friendly neighbor. Or the person in school that talks about you. But Isaiah's prophetic insight says that God was going to do something in Jerusalem that would bring everything together. 
It is also obvious to Isaiah that unifying people in peace is close to the heart and the plan of God. As a result of God drawing many people to himself through what will happen in Jerusalem, there's this great unifying act that happens as a result. And the people, he says, will experience peace. Isaiah explains, when they come together, when the Lord settles their disputes, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Before we sang the hundreds of songs that have intertwined Jesus and the bringing of peace at Christmas time, we see a prophet who walked so closely with God, who heard the heart of God, that he predicted something was going to happen centuries from now in Jerusalem that will cause people to seek peace. So much so that they will actually never train for war again. This thing that will happen will cause people to train for war no more. In a time of violent war and onslaught and slavery, what odd news this must have seemed. Doesn't God know how much stuff they have to deal with from the evil men around them? Or as George Bush said decades ago, don't they know what the evildoer does? It also is obvious to Isaiah that unifying people in peace is close to the heart and the plan of God. The Christmas story is all about Jesus and the kingdom in which he inaugurates. But folks, peace is also part of the Christmas story. Peace is also a message of the Christmas story. Quickly turn with me to Luke 1, 67 through 79. We pick up at another story before the Christmas story in which we see God prophetically reveal the same idea again to his people. In a minute, I'm actually going to have this scripture read to you by a video clip, and I invite you just to close your eyes and to listen to it. But what's happening here in this story in Luke 1 is a prefacing story to the coming of Jesus. On this day, you might say, the coming of Christmas was obvious. The violence and oppression had come to a head. Hope was in the air. The Holy Spirit was definitely up to something. He was moving through the people in the least of neighborhoods. The magic was in the air. And it was obvious that a Messiah was coming as an angel appeared to Mary. Sarah and Zechariah had just learned that they too would give birth to a baby boy, even in their old age. They learned their son would clear the path for the coming of a Messiah. We, like them, are standing here in a day prefacing the story of Christmas. As I said earlier, I'm sure you're aware that both the magic and the selling points of the season are beginning to entice us, to sing with our hearts, to make us goody like children, to fill our freezers, to celebrate traditions. Christmas is obviously coming. But do we feel the same radical call in it that the people of Zechariah's time would have? The people of Isaiah's time. I invite you to listen in to Luke 1, 67 through 79.
His father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This passage is known as Zachariah's song. It is this this sense that Zechariah, a priest who who was gifted with prophetic insight, walked so closely with God that that God chose him for this unique call in life. But not only did he call him to this unique call in life, but he also used him to be a mouthpiece much like he did for Isaiah. In fact, Many of the things that get said in Zechariah's song are connections to the same thing we saw happening in Isaiah. The day of the Lord in which Isaiah talked about had now come in the mind of Zechariah. Did you hear what he said? Priest and prophetic voice, Zechariah said, the coming of the Messiah was to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The world was a very dark time in this era. But the coming of the Messiah meant that it would shine on those who were living, those who were stuck, those who had been born into this dark era. And in this shadow of death, in this place where everywhere they looked, war and oppression was happening, God was going to come and guide their feet into the path of peace. Peace is also part of the Christmas story. It is just like Nat King Cole said, a little child shall lead them to the prophets of old. You see, centuries later, Zechariah, a priest, also walked intimately with God and received prophetic insight to God's heart and plan. In Zechariah's prophecy, he sees that Jesus will rescue his people in the darkest of their times guide their, and guide their feet into the path of peace. It's like Nat King Cole said, a little child shall lead them, said the prophets of old. You see, God created the world. God created the world to be at peace. 
man disrupted God's idea of peace. Through prophets, he reminded the people of his original intent. God showed those who walked closely with him that the Messiah will teach us peace. Mary, pregnant with Jesus, proclaims, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. The basis of mercy is this reconciliating peace. Zechariah receives prophetic insight that Jesus will guide our feet in the way of peace. The angels proclaim it to the shepherds, and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. And then Jesus teaches it in his first sermon as part of the DNA of discipleship as he stands on what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Isaiah and Zechariah saw God's plan for peace in the Christmas story because they walked so closely with him as sons of God and heard his heart. How do we go walking in the way of God's heart within our neighborhood and spheres of influence? I have a few ideas. One, we see that we need to walk closely with God. Do not become comfortable with a radical Christmas story. Remember its radicalness. Pursue God's heart daily in the scriptures, in your prayers, and in spiritual disciplines. This is what happened to Zechariah and to Isaiah. They walked so intimately with God that he couldn't help but share with joy his gift of his heart to them. This season also hear God's heart for peace. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we continue to hear God's heart for people to trust in him with their care alone. This dependency was a contagious aspect to outsiders throughout history. It is that which defined our Anabaptist people, a trust in God so much that life was secondary to that trust. Isaiah modeled that trust, that he continued to be a mouthpiece to God at all costs, up to the point where he was sawed in half as a result. Third takeaway, let a child lead us. The Christmas season is full of people singing and wanting a baby boy that will teach us peace. Use that as a stepping stone to talk to other followers of Jesus and your neighbors who don't know Jesus about how peace intertwines with a Christmas story. And if you don't see how it intertwines with a Christmas story, then read the Christmas story over and over again, and you can't help but see it. And I invite you to live into the holy way. Jesus will go on to teach that blessed are those who work in peace. Identify the turmoil that is in your neighborhood, in those places in which you hold influence, and work for peace in them. Where is there racism in your neighborhood or your sphere of influence? Where is there strife, violence, abuse, disease, war, division, or infighting? Where are people cutting and devouring each other? Because in these places, there is not peace. And Isaiah is telling us that this thing that happened in Jerusalem means peace for all people. In a song I quoted earlier, Nat King Cole also sings, While wise men follow through the dark a star that beckons them. I invite you on a journey as the worship team comes forward through the dark with a star that beckoned the wise men and figuratively Isaiah and Zechariah. A story that involves the promised peace of God.
Carl Medeus, an author and pastor, says that the journey brings us to analyze the politics of Jesus, in which he says is, can you skip that? Thank you, I think my battery's, uh, well, in which he invites us to say that the politics of Jesus are serve widows and orphans, Welcome foreigners. Prefer outsiders over insiders. Be kind to sinners and tough on saints. I would add in there, and work for peace within